Hello and welcome back to the Three Pillars Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Tobin, a.k.a. Tobinator the Motivator, and this is episode 122, King Arthur, Man or Myth. Guys, welcome back to the Three Pillars Podcast, a podcast that focuses on those three pillars of fitness, spiritual, mental, and physical fitness to help us grow closer to the Lord on this journey we call life. Guys, thank you for tuning in. It's a real blessing. We just hit over 10,000 downloads of the show. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for all the shares, all the likes, all the comments, all the interaction. It's been really awesome to hit that milestone this week. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. If you're new to the program, welcome. If you're if you're an old head returning, stick around. we got some good stuff coming on. This week, we're going to be talking about King Arthur. Now, we've done the allegory of Aslan. We've done the allegory of, of Aragorn. We're going to do the allegory of Arthur next week. But this week, I want to set up who King Arthur actually is. What do people think of him? What does history say about him? Um, and we're going to jump into that here in a little bit. Um, if you guys would please go over to Good Pods. On Good Pods, create an account. Find me there. The links are all in the description. Rate, leave a rating review on the show. Any episode that you watch, leave a rating and review. I'd very much appreciate it. If you're on any of the platforms, I'd appreciate subscriptions, five-star ratings, reviews, share these to the winds. You guys have been awesome doing that so far. Let's just keep that up and keep on trucking, shall we? If you're on Good Pods, also make sure you check out the Sword of the Spirit podcast. You'll see it on my profile if you if you link to it on Good Pods. Make sure you check out Joe Rusiello over there. He's an awesome dude. He's got two uh, two shows weekly, one every Thursday, one every Sunday. So definitely check out Joe and everything he's got going on over there. So we're going to get into King Arthur. I'm going to explain who he is. I've got a paper here. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But first, we're going to start with a quick word of prayer as always, and then we're going to dive right in. So here we go. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise your name on high. Lord, you make mountains move with just a whisper. You calm the seas. You make the wind blow. You turn the earth upside down if you wanted to. But despite all your power, you show great mercy. You great show great love and compassion for us. You're created. You don't need us, but you want us, Lord. We are eternally grateful. We are not even worth the crumbs on your table, Lord, but you... You invite us to sit right next to you and feast. Lord, be with me today. Give me the words to say. Give anybody tuning into this the eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive anything that can grow them closer to you. In the most holy name of Jesus, amen. All right. You heard something drop there a second ago. What it is, it's a research paper that I wrote. I want to say it might be. No, it's not a not my senior paper, but I wrote this paper in high school, and it's very fitting that it was in my drawer here because I'm going to be talking about Arthur next week. I wrote a paper, if you can see it here, King Arthur, Man or Myth. That's what we're going to go over today. And just so you guys know, I got a 95 on it, all right? So this is a pretty decent paper from what I understand. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about King Arthur. Arthur uh, is, is a hero of old. A lot of people kind of... Uh, see him as a messianic figure, and that's why I want to set up this week's episode for the discussion next week on the comparison between Arthur and Jesus, and how, again, if we just look through history, we can see pictures of Jesus everywhere and see his model, but also remember that he is the ultimate hero in our story. This is his story, history. It's the story of Jesus. He he is the center of, the, of attention, and to all glory be praised to him. So, we're going to read this. Uh, I'm going to have some work cited here. We're going to look at the Encyclopedia Britannica, a book called King Arthur, The Truth Behind the Legend by Rodney Castleton. That's in 2000. Uh, 2000. Uh, we're going to reference ex the movie Excalibur, Disney Sword of the Stone, 
We're going to uh, a book called King Arthur by Paul Doherty from 1987. Uh, King Arthur making uh, myth making in history 2002 uh, N.J. Hingham, and then the website KingArthur'sKnights.com. That's all going to be in this book. I'll put those uh, citations down below just so you guys know I'm not just plagiarizing, right? So this episode, I'm just going to read through this um, this paper and set the stage for who Arthur is for our discussion next week. So without further ado, let's jump right in. King Arthur, man or myth? William Skeen says, There is always some substratum of truth on which the wildest legends are based, though it may be disguised. King Arthur was disputedly the greatest king that Britain has ever had. His existence, though, is the greatest dispute. To settle the argument, one must think of Arthur as two people, the first, Arthur, was a Roman general in Britain during the 6th century. He was an expert cavalryman who defended his people from Saxon invaders during the early part of the century. The second, Arthur, was a fictitious king created by medieval society. His feats of greatness became world-renowned during his time. This Arthur was a chivalrous, chivalrous king filled with passion, mercy, and kindness. He was also a fearless warrior and, above all things, a devout Christian. His people were his top priority even in every deed he did. It is this man that people know as King Arthur. So we've already set up two different Arthurs, but they kind of there's kind of an amalgamation over the his, of the the history. So we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. So the legend of Arthur is full of magic, knights, wizards, quests, and romance. Behind this curtain of fictitious uh, fiction lies some truth. William Skeen, an English historian, published his theories on Arthur in 1868. He proposed that a Saxon invasion occurred as early as 441 A.D. It was during this time that the people appealed to a man named Aetius. Aetius, Aetius, A-E-T-I-U-S, Aetius was an imperial cavalry commander from Gaul between 430 and 454 A.D. Skeen argued that Aetius was Arthur due to the fact that Aetius was a great commander and may have warded off uh, the Saxons during this time. Another Arthur can be found in the, in the works of another English historian, Sir John Rice. Rice suggested that there were actually two Arthurs. One Arthur was a British mythical, uh, that's from Hingham, uh, the Hingham book. One Arthur was a British mythical medieval hero. With this Arthur goes the legendary Knights of the Round Table, Merlin, Excalibur, etc. The other Arthur coincided with Skeen's view that he was a 5th century cavalry leader stationed in Britain. Most think he was a Roman. Skeen and Reese were not the only historians, historians to have similar views about the real Arthur. In 1924, a man named Malone concurred with the theory of two Arthurs, one being a mythical hero while the other being a real man. Malone went a step further by giving a new name and time period to the real man. Malone suggests that the real Arthur was a man named Lucius Artorsius Castus. Artorsius was a military leader who led a force into Brittany in the 2nd century, again from Hingham. Here one finds yet another parallel to King Arthur. So who was the real King Arthur? To find the answer, one must delve deep into the ancient archives of Britain, the eastern annals of Wales. In this intricately detailed account of English history, a man called Arthur was mentioned twice. One record had the year 516 AD and recounted the Battle of Baden or Baden Hill. Some of you guys are familiar with that if you've ever seen like Excalibur. In the eastern annals from Castledon, it is quoted... <clears throat> Arthur carried the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ on his shoulders for three days and three nights, and the British were victorious. A second record recounted the strife of Camlan in 537 AD and the death of Arthur. In the Eastern Annals, very simply, it's quoted, Arthur and Mordred 
perish. Although brief, these records were written proof of the existence of the man known as Arthur. Another reference to Arthur comes from an early 7th century bard's poem titled Garudin. In this poem, it, is, it was in this poem that Arthur was mentioned for the first time. And it's very simply quoted from Doherty's book, The Gododin. Uh, Doherty quotes The Gododin in this very, very small uh, blurb here. It says, but he was not Arthur. This poem, The Gododin, recounted the deeds and fall of a hero during that time. Clearly, as stated by the lines in the poem, that hero was not Arthur. This reference, however, tells us a great deal about the importance of Arthur. Just the mention of his name in a single line of a poem was enough to pique the interest of anyone at the time. From this poem, one could infer that Arthur was a great warrior as well as a renowned ruler. This had to be true or else other warriors would not have, would not have been compared to him as seen in the Gododin. In order to understand Arthur and the mystery surrounding him, one must delve into the history and peril the British were facing. In the year 410 AD, Germanic barbarians called Visigoths invaded Rome from Doherty's book. Roman soldiers in Britannia were recalled to defend Rome. The Celtic tribes of Britain were left to defend themselves from another group of barbarians called the Saxons. The many Celtic tribes who before had been at each other's throats banded together and kept the Saxons at bay. Again from Doherty. A Welsh chieftain named Vortigern paid tribute to the Saxons and gave them land in, the, in southern Britain. Vortigern was a coward and did not wish to fight. The strategy worked for some time until there was no more land for him to give. With the threat of attack from the Saxons and his people against him, Vortigern did what all cowards do. He fled to the mainland and deserted the Britons. Again from Doherty. Without a leader, the Britons were in disarray until a new leader took charge. This man's name was Ambrosius. Ambrosius was responsible, according to a monk at the time named Gildas, for the defeat of the Saxons at the Battle of Badon Hill. Gildas mentions Arthur as a commander and a subordinate to Ambrosius, but does not associate him with the victory. Some say that the reason that Gildas hid Arthur was because he did not want Arthur to be worshipped like a god, but only recognized for his valor. These were dark times for Britain, and Gildas may have wanted to keep the people on the path of righteousness. His actions remain a mystery even today. Again from Doherty. Two centuries later, another monk named Ninius set the record straight and credited Arthur as the commander of the Britons at the Battle of Baden Hill. Ninius also recounted 11 other battles prior, prior to Baden Hill in which Arthur was also victorious. At Baden Hill, Ninius stated that Arthur single-handedly slew 960 men. Again from Doherty. Naturally, he embellished the truth a little bit. The last part of Ninius' tale recounted the death of Arthur at the Battle of Camlan. Camlan, C-A-M-L-A-N-N, Camlan, in 538 A.D. It was during this battle, after many years of peace, that Arthur was mortally wounded and finally perished. Modern historians only question Ninius because they were unable to locate any of the aforementioned battle sites. Finally, the impact of Arthur on the kings of later eras was tremendous. In the year 1190 A.D., the Celtic peoples of Britain staged numerous rebellions against England. These people believed that Arthur was a Scot and that he would be the one who would save them and bring peace to the land. In order to put down the rebellion, the king, Henry II, had the coffin of Arthur, quote, discovered and put on display for all the Celts to see. The Celts lost hope and ended their upheaval. Castledon. Some years later, Edward I had similar trouble with regard to rebellion. Edward had Arthur's bones displayed and buried in the churchyard. Many of Arthur's effects, such as his crown and scepter, were also displayed, so the Celts would once again be convinced that their savior would not come, again from Castledon. 
Finally, Edward III came along and did something completely different from his predecessors. Edward III claimed that he was the living heir of Arthur himself, and he attempted to reestablish the round table. What he ended up with was the Order of the Garland, which paralleled the round table, Castleton states. These actions of these kings indicate a tremendous the tremendous impact that Arthur had even centuries after he died. History revealed that Arthur was a great man, a valiant warrior, and a powerful ruler. It also shows he was a tangible, touchable being. The Arthur that has been discovered, however, is not the Arthur that is known today. In a churchyard upon a great slab of marble, there lay an anvil with a sword stuck in it. Upon this sword was written in gold letters, Whoso pulleth out this sword of this stone and anvil is rightwise king, born of all England. After Christmas Mass, knights and warriors from all around the country came to the churchyard claiming to be heir to the throne. One by one, each man attempted to pull out the sword, but none prevailed. It was then decided that the new king would have been determined by, great by a great tournament of arms. On New Year's Day, men would joust and do combat to one another to test their strength. One who would come to this tournament was Hector and his son Kay. Kay would forget his sword and send his squire Arthur to fetch another for him. In his haste, Arthur ran to the churchyard and pulled out the sword within the stone and re returned to Kay. Upon seeing the sword at the hands of the boy, the tournament was stopped and Arthur was asked to repeat his deed. Arthur replaced the sword and allowed others to attempt to pull the sword. When no one else could, Arthur grabbed the hilt and pulled the sword out again. The wizard Merlin then appeared and proclaimed Arthur the true and rightful king of England, and all the people bowed before their new king. We've seen this in The Sword and the Stone. That's where that, that whole kind of synopsis comes from. Love the movie. Historic, historically accurate? Probably not. But the character's still there. Humble beginnings. We'll get to that. This is the most famous account of the Arthurian legend. Today, almost everyone knows a little something about the great King Arthur. This is the Arthur people real recognize. This Arthur, however, is a fictitious character based upon the life of a 6th century king. Arthur, as legend has it, was illicitly conceived when his father, Uther, had Merlin disguise him to look like Gorlias, so that Uther could sleep with his wife, Yagurna. As payment for this act, Merlin made Uther promise that when the child was born, that the boy that the boy would be handed over to his own care and safekeeping. Uther agreed to this pact, and when the child was born, he was named Arthur and given to Merlin as promised. If you've ever seen the movie Excalibur, that's another fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to go check it out. I watched it again recently. Did not disappoint. Um, a lot of people you wouldn't expect are in that movie. Um, uh, who played Morgana? Helen, um, Helen Miram. Uh, Patrick Stewart's in it, Liam Nielsen, like, go watch Excalibur. It's worth your time. It's fantastic, fantastic um, movie. So uh, back to, the, <laughs> back to the, um, the, the paper here. This, Arthur's, this account of Arthur's birth was more appealing and caught the attention of more people than it would if it had been true. Arthur's sword, Excalibur, was poured from the pulled from the stone in the churchyard of the court. Yeah. Arthur's sword, Excalibur, was pulled from the stone in the churchyard of the Church of England. Since Arthur was too young to yield this blade and be the ruler of a nation, Arthur had to give Excalibur to the Lady of the Lake, Vivienne, for safekeeping. That's out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Britannia. Britannica. Encyclopedia Britannia, sorry. Vivienne would keep Arthur's sword until he would come of age and be able to rule his people. Arthur would travel and learn from his mentor, Merlin, until he was old enough to claim his throne. At that time, Arthur returned to the Lady of the Lake and retrieved Excalibur, again from Britannia. Arthur established his kingdom's capital at the castle Camelot. 
There he gathered the greatest knights of the land and formed the Knights of the Round Table. And that's from King Arthur's Knights, the, the, the website. Arthur also fell in love with Guinevere and would eventually marry her. Among his knights was the greatest in the land, Sir Lancelot. Thus Arthur's reign was commenced and he ruled, compassionately and fairly with only his people in mind. Arthur brought peace to the land, but conflict would soon emerge in the court of Camelot. Soon after his arrival in Camelot, Sir Lancelot fell in love with Guinevere and they began a secret affair. Arthur soon found out about the affair and had Lancelot exiled and Guinevere sentenced to death. Lancelot rescued Guinevere and escaped to the mainland. In his rage, Arthur went in pursuit and left Mordred to run the country. Mordred started a rebellion against Arthur, and Arthur was forced to return to Camelot to put down Mordred's forces. Upon his arrival, Arthur and Mordred fought at the Battle of Camelot. Mordred would fall, but not before mortally wounding Arthur. The dying king was placed in a boat with many queens and fairies and taken to the island of Avalon. There he would remain until his wound was healed. He would then return to rule his people again. That's from Doherty. While this is only a story, it became popular belief that it was true. It appealed to many people because they could relate it to their own lives. The legend of Arthur is one that all people have heard at one point in their life. It has been told and retold over and over with each time a new element of the story being added. And it's for this reason that the Arthur known today is, is real, but at the same time, he is not. In order to understand Arthur, one must think in two terms. On one hand, there is a Celtic leader who defended his people from an imminent invasion. This Arthur was a terrific warrior and as well as a successful ruler. He brought peace and prosperity to the land of Britain. On the other hand, there was King Arthur, the mightiest and most renowned ruler of England. This Arthur appeared during the Middle Ages as a light in the darkness. This Arthur was the perfect king in that he cared deeply for his people and fought passionately for him, for them. It was this Arthur that is the, the model for all other kings to follow. We're going to get to that next week. He appealed to all because he was devoutly Christian and served his Lord with his entire being. Thus, the fictitious Arthur was a compilation of beliefs that formed the mightiest king of England. This Arthur would be the man with all the glory. It is he who will be renowned for all time. I wrote that in high school. I, apparently, it was a pretty good paper. It was May 7th, 2004. Almost, geez, almost 20 years ago now. Um, but, like I said, there's a proof. Got a 95. I uh, got docked for a um, uh, pretty interesting argument or an opinion. So, I got a 39. Uh, good factual inf inf info, although at more times, uh, more info would have been helpful. Less reliance on Disney. Sorry about that. Uh, no grammatical errors. Well done. Well done. So, a little pat on the back for that. A little nostalgia reading that. I'll put all these uh, references in the in the. Um, description box of this um episode all that being said that should give you a pretty good idea of arthur if it, if it did nothing but just kind of jog your memory on the arthurian legend um he was a mighty warrior as as we saw whether it was um the celtic king or the the, the british king um the end of the day, he loved his people and he fought hard for them, no matter who he was. If he was even anybody, if, if he didn't exist, the character still exists. So that's almost as, it's almost like he would existed anyways, right? So whether he's fact or fiction, man or myth, I'll let you guys be the, the, the judges of that. I like to think that he was real. I'm going to go with Arthur was definitely a real guy. Um, did he sail off into the mist of Avalon only to be, uh, only to return at, at the time when his, his people need him most? Nah, probably not. He's probably dead. But that 
kind of messianic character. Everybody's looking for somebody to save them, right? But you got to, the, the only person that could truly save you was Jesus. And we're going to get to that a little bit next week. So um, that's all I had for you guys this week. I just wanted to kind of set the stage for next week's episode. I hope this was a, a fun little trip uh, down memory lane. Definitely go watch Excalibur. Definitely go watch Sword in the Stone. Check out some of these books. Check out, check out some of the websites I'm going to put down here below uh, and get spun up because next week I'm going to, it's going to be a long one, I think, but we're going to get into, and, and the reason it's going to be longer than Aragorn or or Aslan is I think a lot more people relate to Arthur. I think a lot more people have heard of Arthur, uh, especially throughout history. So why is that important when comparing to a Messianic figure? Because, again, we're looking for a savior. There's a lot of things we could do to help ourselves out, but the only person that could truly save us and give us eternal salvation is Jesus. So we'll hit that up next week. Um, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, again, I'm Chase Tobin. Check out the Three Pillars podcast on all the platforms, YouTube, Rumble, uh, Odyssey. Check us out on Apple, Amazon, Spotify. Jeez, we're, we're, we're on all the, all the platforms. Good pods. Uh, check out the website. Website's going to have fitness tips. going to have basically my workout accountability. But if you want to follow any of those workouts, um, you should get some, some kind of result with it. I'm not a uh, personal trainer, but I've done this a long time. Um, if you would also... Uh, I think I, I think it covered all my wickets right there. Share the show. That's how we grow. All right. We're going to end with a quick word of prayer as always. Keep going, kick you guys out for another fantastic weekend. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Chase Tobin. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise your name on high. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for being the true Messiah. Thank you for sending your son down to save us from the darkness, being a light in the darkness that we will never, ever it will never be extinguished because your light cannot be extinguished. It drives the darkness away. Fill us full of your light. Help us be mighty warriors for you that we can go into this world and attack the darkness and take it back in your name. Lord, I ask that you bless anybody tuning into this with strength, bless them with peace, bless them with faith that is ever abundant. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Guys, thank you again for tuning in. I'm Chase Tobin, a.k.a. Tobin the Motivator. Stick around next week. We're going to be doing the allegory of Arthur. You're not going to want to miss it. So without further ado, have a fantastic weekend. Till next week, Tobinator out.